Eon Flux, the should-have-been-straight-to-video-but-wasn't <laughs> science fiction adaptation of an MTV cartoon? Correct. That is correct. There you go. So what did we think? Uh, I get the impression that I liked it better than everyone else. I, I have to say, I have a weird affection for this movie. <laughs> so, it is not good. Let's get that out of the way. Yep. But, so here's the thing, uh... The whole time I was watching this, it was unclear to me, had I seen this before? And I think that I have, but I think it's so forgettable that I, like, it's one of the few movies that you can watch and that ten years later you can watch it and it'll feel like the first time because you will genuinely okay. have no idea. I had lunch with Liz Labaz yesterday and she said that we went to see it together. All and of I, us? Yes. And I said, no way. I have never seen this movie before. I'm sure. And so that suggests to me that maybe you have. I thought I watched it with John Feitner in our apartment on Edmund Street. And he oh. was like, no, I saw that in theaters. I think that there was an event where our group of friends in 2005 saw this movie. That makes but sense. I said that I wasn't there because it was December 2005 and I was in my sad orphan cave. That... That makes sense. Yeah. Bob Shields, have you seen this movie before? I had seen it before. I saw it when I was in college. I don't recall the circumstance or really anything about it. I just remember, and I still thought this when I watched it the second time, that it had like really great sci-fi concepts, but was a really forgettable and boring movie. Yeah. So like, it, there's a lot of things. Like The beginning of this movie feels like the setup to a really good Star Trek episode, Except then the crew of the Enterprise just never shows up. <laughs> so it, it, it's kind of weird in that way. And like there's a lot of like cool technology and like it's a really cool premise, but it's just it just completely flattens out and becomes boring schlock. So my favorite part of the movie is that I think that they do a good job of having like a detailed, weird world specific things. World building. Yeah, yes. like she's like, oh, I put something in my drink and then it turned black. We're never going to discuss that. Or I put this weird chest thing on me and now I'm in a different dimension room, but now I'm not. And I really like that. Like, I like movies that assume a knowledge of the world that they don't take the time to talk to you about. So I like that too. And that's one of the things I like best about this movie is it introduces a lot of concepts like that. But the rules are very unspecific and undefined. So, like, for example, they one of the coolest things is they take a pill to get their information. Like, they get a mission briefing, mm -hmm. take a pill, and you see it. They have, like, encyclopedia, Encarta, video game graphics of... The going, nervous system. Yeah, the nervous system and the, the pill going into the bloodstream and, like, affecting their brain. And then they're in a corridor in her brain with Frances McDormand. And I was like, that's a really cool concept. Like, a pill that gives you, like, makes you hallucinate information. Right. That's an awesome idea. 
But then it turns out that that's actually like a live connection, like they're actually talking back and forth using that technology. They are like it's visiting not... a different plane. It's... Right, it's not a recording. It's like an astral. I think it can be both. I think it's definitely live because she and Sathandra negotiate. Yes. yes. So it's definitely, it's definitely a, like they're connected that way. Yeah. And also like at some point she doesn't have to take a pill like she just scratches a hole in her well, skin that was the thing and, like, they said... she's keeping a pill inside of her yes oh. and Sathandra had the same thing and that was how they tracked her they said as long as she has the pill in her then we can find her yeah so, so I, I thought that was the trace of the pill in her bloodstream I oh thought it was supposed no to be. it was a it was like a backup an pill. actual physical pill well so... she also has like skin patches that she can pull off to like heal other people's yes, bullet yeah, wounds. I does. think my memory of the cartoon is that the body modification was a much more prevalent part of the show. And here there was a little bit like Sathandra had hand feet. Yep. Yeah. Um, which I remember from the cartoon. But and I think like here they show it a little bit, but in the cartoon I'm pretty sure there's someone who had like a part of their spine removed. Correct. And they could take that part out and then do like crazy movement things that you would do if you didn't have a spine there and then like reinsert it yes and also you could put a wrench inside of her spine gap and give her an orgasm i watched the entire cartoon this week so i went on a deep dive with this movie because i'm going back to the working world next week so i figured like hey i've got my days (laughs) free so i watched the movie i watched the whole series and then i watched the movie with the writer's commentary again oh wow that's because when i was watching the movie all of my notes were i assume this is something from the cartoon most of the time it isn't They made up most of this stuff. That's interesting. Like, some things, the first image is her catching a fly in her eyelashes. That's the credits card for the cartoon. Mm -hmm. And that thing where she makes out with that guy and he feeds her the pill, that is sort of inspired by something from the cartoon. Fun fact, that guy was her boyfriend. Oh. Yeah, who was, like, a better actor than being a pill Tongue, correct. That's how he was credited. Yeah. Pill, pill tongue, tongue pillar, pill. Stuart Mark Townsend pill. as tongue pill. <laughs> Ew. I specifically did not rewatch the cartoon because the cartoon has this like weird space in my memory of a like the first thing I remember watching on TV and feeling like this is sexual. And I think if my parents walk in and see me watching this, I'm gonna get in trouble. Same, but it's not. Like, it was also, like, so weird and outside of what I thought was, like, sexual for, like, a kid. I was like, well, it's not a rom-com and they're not making out, but she's walking around in naked oh, outfits. so sexual. There's a fucking machine. Oh, my God. There's, uh... <laughs> it's also, like, gross. It's the whole... That cartoon, watching all of Eon Flux over the course of two days, gave me the weirdest dreams of my life. Yeah, I believe it. But... Watching the cartoon makes this movie seem so much more narratively cohesive. Yes. Interesting. <laughs> I do remember that also because I would only catch the cartoon at odd intervals and it was like, oh, it's on. I should try to watch this, but I have no idea what's happening. And because I didn't have DVDs then, like you couldn't watch everything in sequence. So it was just sort of like I'm getting weird glimpses into this fetishy, I don't know. Yeah. Also, I mean, we probably are mostly remembering the 95 series. Yeah. But the shorts that aired during Liquid Television are, like, two minutes long. Yeah. So there's no story. It's, like, two minutes of Eon Flux killing people. And when I say it's gross, I feel like it is. it reminds me stylistically of Ren and Stimpy, which I also find kind of unwatchable because it just has, like, a real focus on, like, 
I don't know, like, I, I can't think of a better word for it than just, like, the gross body. Like, there's just something about those images, and there's something about the way that it's drawn that I think is very deliberate. Yeah. And I can watch Ian Flux, but, like, I hate, I hated Ren and Stimpy. Ian Flux. What did I say? Yeah, Ian. Good old Ian. <laughs> Good old Ian Flux. That's the, the Scottish pronunciation, So, right? the thing about Ian Flux, uh, no, so Aon. I actually, watching Aon. the cartoons, I was like, David Cronenberg should have directed this movie. Yes! That would have been amazing. Yep. And kind of what Bob was saying about, like, this is a decent premise for a Star Trek episode. All of the cartoons, each episode of the, that one season that they did, is a decent premise for a sci-fi movie <laughs> that they've got 20 minutes of nonsense and don't go anywhere with. Yeah. yeah. But I kind of look through and I'm like, why didn't they take any of these yeah. and turn it into a movie? And I got to one where they were making clones and I was like, oh, this is the one they used, but it's absurdly different. And would have made a much better movie. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, so the plot summary is everyone on Earth has died except for a small group of people. And the good child saved humanity by coming up with a cure for the disease. And that is lived... true in the cartoon also. Okay. They've lived in this tiny society for 400 years. And there's a secret group of monikans who think that the good childs are a repressive, tyrannical regime because people keep disappearing and no one talks about it. So it's about, like, the authoritarian state initially. But then you essentially find out that everyone is a clone because by curing the disease they made everyone sterile and the only people who know that they're clones are the two good child brothers one of whom continues to research proves Jeff Goldblum correct that life finds a way yes. because people yep. basically fix themselves over 400 years and also that Eon Flux was his wife from 400 years ago who had never been cloned except for this is the first time she was cloned because a dude in Pete Postlethwaite Pete Postlethwaite in a blimp was like now's the time for her to blow shit up so then she was born and grew up so then when they saw each other they're like oh my god a ghost memories uh and then they bone um and then the movie ends with the not pete Postlethwaite and charlie's theron no that, that is true to see i would <laughs> trevor goodchild yes and goodchild and his Eon. catherine yeah and then the clone blimp very metaphorically crashes into the wall of the tiny civilization that separates them from the wild from nature yes. and then they talk about how it's important that you die can I tell you something that I learned from watching the writer's commentary? Yes. I have been debating whether or not I should share this with you. Definitely because, do. Okay. In the original script, Eon is pregnant. Oh. I actually kept thinking that that okay. was going to be what happened. Um, I was glad that they explained why she showed up because she hadn't been being cloned. Right. I thought that that was a reasonable explanation. Yeah. But yeah. she got pregnant when she boned him. And then that is... How she, like, she knows on a cellular level that it's time to stop. Oh, I'm really glad they took that out. Yeah. I like that she was like, look, we might all just die, but maybe that's the outcome. Versus, I have a magical womb, and therefore my kids will well, be Well, it wouldn't be a magical womb, because she knows that other people, like, her sister got pregnant. She knows that other people are getting pregnant. But she didn't know. The sister got pregnant because she was part of an experiment group that Trevor Goodchild was conducting to try to find a cure. Right. And even though he's doing all these experiments, and he's in charge of every person, and magical water droplets surveil everyone at all times. That's true. He he had no idea that other people were spontaneously getting pregnant and that his brother was having the police kill all of them. He's not very good at exploiting his own surveillance state. Uh, so one of the things in this movie that I found the most frustrating is the criminal waste of such a good cast. Yes. Okay, can we talk about how in 2005, Charlize Theron and Frances McDormand were in two movies together. One of them, 
was Eon Flux, uh, and one of them was North Country, for which they both got Oscar nominations. Oh my god. Yep. I hope that they are pals. Also, Frances McDormand in particular is the one I feel wasted, because she has this horrible orange, like, crazy French lady. So she has, like, a bright orange Helena Bonham Carter wig, and she only exists in the Mind Palace, and we don't know if she's good or bad. Like, we know that the Monikans are being manipulated by Orin Goodchild, but I don't know if she's in on it or not, or if she's just, like, a true and just rebel leader. But she's all like, all right, Sathandra, kill your pal who beat you up for inexplicable reasons and put you underwater with a reed in your mouth, which was deeply horrifying to consider. But I, Sathandra, is- also an Academy Award nominee, Sophie Okonedo. Um, who is great. Yes. yes. But yeah, Frances McDormand, please be in that movie more, or I don't know. I was just like, it's I so was nice really to see curious her. how she felt, how that character, if she even exists on the normal plane, yes. right? She maybe only exists in the astral plane. How she felt because she got betrayed at the end. She right? did. Basically, because Eon has sex with the bad guy, in quotation marks, Trevor Goodchild, Frances McDormand sends Sandra and all the other assassins after Eon. Because she failed to kill him. Right. And uh, Sathandra and Eon have a subconscious conversation, and it's come to Jesus moment, and Sathandra chooses to back Eon's play. And Frances McDormand is back there being like, no, no, and then is never heard from again. Yeah. They go back to the real world, and no one knows what happens to Handla. So here's another thing I think is interesting about this movie is this movie... And the Hunger Games are both like, oh, a decadent uh, overlord who, like, fucks up with your life. But this movie is essentially like, but the good childs are really honestly trying to help you all along. So, like, I know they've been disappearing people and manipulating you and lying to you, but, like, he's totally a good guy. Well, there are two of them, and one of them is the evil one and one of them is the good one. He doesn't, the good one doesn't know that his brother has been disappearing and murdering pregnant women. He is just kind of like, well, shit happened. But he is deceiving all of humanity. Which yeah. I want to touch on, because that's a good premise. Like, the Cologne Society is a great premise, but it's never explained how no one ever says, hey, how come the same guy has been running things for 400 years? Why are the civilians unaware? That's a very good point. Well, because he gets, he gets reborn, so he would die. Yeah. But he's so only named, so it's like Trevor Goodchild but there the 50th. That's true. But they're, yeah, but they're not synchronized. People are living and dying all the time. And they do so, show him raising his own self. Exactly. They so, show him he teach, raises himself. Yeah. They show him teaching himself to love Charlize Theron. Yeah, which makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> so. uh, well, I mean, we should all be taught to love That's Charlize true. Theron. Oh, yeah. Well, isn't that the whole point? <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk about Charlize in this movie. So I think this is a it's either a pivotal moment in her career where she transitions from sexy eye candy to movie star powerhouse, or it's the result of her Oscar win, and this is like, oh, now you can do whatever you want. And I can't quite tell which one, because she never really did another blockbuster until, like, Snow White, really. She didn't do it as a lead. Yes. So the reason that we chose this movie for this part of the podcast, for episode three? Yep. Mm -hmm. We chose it because this was the first time that I could think of, and maybe the only time, that it was Charlize Theron is. Yes. Yes. Eon Flux. Yes. And this was after her Oscar win. Yep. And I feel like this was her trying to 
get back into movie stardom scene. Right. I think like the other transition that it could have gone down is we didn't have superhero movies the way that we do now then, but sort of right. be like a, an action franchise star. Like right. I think if yes. this had been successful. Yes, that was one of her options was to become Aeon Flux in the Aeon Flux universe. But it was no Tomb Raider, so. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I kept thinking about how if this movie had been made a few years earlier, it would have been Angelina Jolie for sure. Uh, yep. John Feiner actually thought that that's who this was. Yes. Yeah, so he was like, why did you watch that horrible movie? And I was like, Charlie's Theron's in it. He's like, is she? Yeah. Yes. I was excited to see, uh, so this is only the third movie that we've seen, but her eyebrows are progressively getting less penciled. So I'm excited to see them back in. in. (laughs) There Uh, is hope. (laughs) I feel like in this movie, the action sequences are, maybe that's why she didn't become an action star, because the action sequences, I'm not like, oh man, she's really kicking some ass. Bad. It's like, they're, she's about to punch. Mm, cut to another bit. They, they are, there was one that I liked. The so, one that I liked was her fighting with her lover's other lover slash bodyguard, Freya. Yes. So, as we know from Jackie Chan explaining it in that clip yeah. uh, on Every Frame of Painting, which everyone should watch, the reason that they cut around a lot is because the actors weren't trained to fight. So yeah, they just make right. it look, they just throw a punch and then they cut to another angle. So it makes it look like, but this one is actually done not very well like there's a good way to do that yeah and this is not an example of it right so it kind of comes off like and not just the uh fights but also like all almost all the stunts like the acrobatic mm-hmm. work and like falling out of the blimp and uh when Sithandra falls from the spire and so this it comes across like it's like when someone falls down the stairs in a soap opera you just kind of see them go Wah! and then suddenly they're at the bottom already right there's no actual stunt it's just yeah. kind of cut and then cut and it's because it's cheap some of that may have been because Charlize broke part of her back or injured part of her back I during this. That, yeah. So I think that they may have cut, scaled back some of the stunts that they would have done otherwise. But like, I don't know, they could have gotten her actual stand-in. Yes. Yeah. Fight in Two Days in the Valley was better than all of the fight scenes in this. And it was done using stunt doubles. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's like, it's just very strange. And also like the director of this movie, this is only the, I can't remember her name, Karen... It's Corinne Kusama. Karin she directed Kusama. Girl Fight, which yeah. is what Michelle Rodriguez came to fame with. And it, presumably the movie Girl Fight has... It's a boxing Decent movie. fight scenes in it's it. It's a boxing movie. So, so it's, it's a different very, kind of fight. It's a different kind of fight, yeah. Sure, but and I'm it's like... a great movie, by the way. I haven't seen it since I was in high school, but High School Robin loved that movie. All right. So... But the fight scenes are, they're not like cutting around. No. They're like proper they're, fight but scenes. But it's boxing, right? You know, it's... Sure, but you still have to train for boxing. Yeah, but there's not like flipping over each other and stuff. This is true. Yeah. But you can still fall out of a tree. But yeah, this was her second movie. So Girl Fight, I think, was like 2001. So quite a gap. Yeah, she doesn't direct movies very often. Uh, and she mostly directs TV now, which is kind of a good fit seeing how yeah. this one looks. I do think, though, that this is a very visually interesting movie. Like, I agree. The plot yes. isn't necessarily visually interesting, but there's a lot of... I think, like, the scenic design or whatever you would call it, the, the visual elements of it, and even the costumes, like, I think they very successfully transitioned the, like, weird outfits from the cartoon into the actual outfit. Just, I, I thought it was pretty, if not compelling all the time. Yeah, I thought it visually was pretty good. Like, in I thought the sets were great. Yeah, and it's like yeah. standard camera work. It looked great. The special effects don't hold up. Also, it was one of those we ran out of money things, I think. Yes. Yeah, the, yeah, the, the crashing blimp scene yeah. at the end Ugh. looks really bad. It looks video, video game game-like. Bad. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, again, it's an interesting premise, and everyone worked very hard to not much success. So I think some people's acting, like Johnny Lee Miller, is that his name? Yeah. But I think, like, he was just kind of like, hey, my brother, I killed some people. 
and I got shot, and I'm gonna shoot. And I, was I like, forgot I how know that his you are... American accent is. Yeah, he's yeah. He just needs to not pretend to be American ever. <laughs> like, he is a good actor, but in that role, I like him a lot. Like, yeah. I think actually the worst actor was Good Child, like the main guy. What a. I don't recognize that guy from anything. All the time. The whole time we were watching the movie, I was like, oh, I wish Robin were here so I could say, why do I know him? <laughs> I Because I don't know him. I, he just, I, like, throughout the movie, I said about, why do I know that person? Why do I know that person? Because yeah. it is a good cast yeah, of it's people. A great cast. I hope they got a paycheck from it. Was it even a successful, like, was no. it? No, yeah, not it even close. Tank. So one thing is that they, I assume at some point, plan to release this at least in the springtime, if not the summer. <laughs> this was released in December. Ooh. This is a action movie. That I can't understand releasing this in December. It made no money at all. Hmm. Is that and well, we do not have an Ebert and Mebert, and that is because it was not released for critics. That's correct. Okay, yeah. So I actually did find a quotation from Roger Ebert regarding this movie, which was him talking about how he doesn't actually see every movie. Okay, and <laughs> he's like, "Look, like you know, believe it or not, I don't see every movie." And when I have the chance to see something, not to review it, I pretty much go straight for the indies that didn't get a release for me, as opposed to Eon Flux. That's yeah, that's that is fair. A, that is a respectable decision. So it is likely that Roger Ebert died never having seen this movie. Sorry, Charlize. I feel like her role in this movie is mostly to model her perfect haircut. I, her hair in this movie delighted me so much. But also, like, I feel like they don't give her a lot of things to do besides stare intensely. And right. she has, like, she has, I think, few lines? She doesn't speak very much. Yeah, she yeah. mostly, like, looks at you with those eyes. So, the show was silent. All the shorts were wordless. Oh, okay. Okay, and then in this writer's commentary that I listened to, they were like, oh, the film was an opportunity to humanize the character. And I'm like, you, you didn't. <laughs> no, I'm like, I get that you she failed. loved her sister that she never had dinner with. Right. That was such a quick turn of events. It was like, right. hey, I'm in the market. I'm gonna have a baby. Dead. Yeah. That's or- part of what made it feel like a TV show for me. Is yeah. Everything right. happened in the first 20 minutes. And then it skipped forward a year. It yeah. did. Yeah. I was also like, you know, you could have just started with, they killed my sister. I mean, they the whole movie started with title cards being like, we're explaining this world. And they right. could have just been like, and Eon is pissed because her sister was one of them. Having uh, title cards over explain too much information is true to the series, though. Every <laughs> every episode starts with, like, imagine you have read 500 pages of a book. Page 501, let's go. Regarding her sister Una and a lot of other things, because I watched the series this week, there are so many things in it that they were like, oh, we'll take that character's name, but no reality from it it's okay. almost like they didn't watch it but read the wikipedia page for it they walked through the graveyard of those characters and were like i like that name off that tombstone so like, but i don't know anything about okay. their life so even sathandra the character in the tv show is named scafandra okay and she is a bad guy ultimately we find out that she was double crossing eon oh yeah they're just like oh okay hands for feet sounds like sathandra let's move on (laughs) and naive girl named una let's give her a sister named una like it's so it's so weird to me that they bothered to take these things that are yeah completely hollow Things that would be only known by people who cared enough to have watched the TV show. Right. And also, those were the only people who'd be annoyed by it not being true. Exactly. Yep. They're like, hey, let's both appease and irritate it's... the five people who are coming. My other theory is that they actually did watch the show, but they watched it in the 90s when they were stoned. 
And then they like sat down and they were like, all right, we're writing the Eon Flux adaptation. Wasn't there someone with hands for feet? Sandra. Love yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like, that's my best guess. It's a misremembered rewrite yeah. of a script. Yep, that makes sense. My favorite part of the hands for feet is they show it to you for like half a second, and you'd think something that gross and detailed that they would take more time to be like, we are going to use this. But basically they're like, look, she's got hands for feet. And then they'll just show a close-up of hands holding something, and you're like, but you know it's her feet, right? So that's true with almost everything in this movie. Like, it's a great, like, that's that's something that you could, uh, like, uh, a monkey assassin person could totally use that to their advantage, like, like, I thought she was going to, like, be on her hands, like, at a disadvantage, and then she was going to, like, punch some people with her feet or something. Yeah. But nothing like that ever happens. And it's the same with almost all of the sci-fi concepts that are in the movie. Like, when you mentioned, like, the weird teleporter bondage harness before, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, that is completely pointless in the end. Like, it makes for an interesting fight scene where she's, like, going back and forth between the rooms. And but, then like, it's completely forgotten that it even exists. I guess I hesitate to criticize this movie for all of the things that don't make sense because I feel like in the beginning of this talk, we were all saying how great it is that they don't expect you to understand what's going on. And I wish they had leaned into that because then it would A, be more like the source material. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And B, the parts of this movie that are exposition heavy are excruciating. Boring. So boring. Oh, the flashbacks of them when they're not in focus. Do you know how much I don't want to not watch (laughs) the same flashback six times of a blurry image? A lot. Of Charlie's walking down a street? Or of, like, the hospital? Oh, yeah. It's just like, I get it. I get it. Just, why, like, can we just use flashbacks once? And if you're going to flashback again, uh, Regina Connolly says, you have to use different footage. Stop using the same footage, like, six times in a movie. But that's what memories are like, Regina. No, they're not! (laughs) A thing, two things that I did like about the movie. I think my favorite sequences are her and Sathandra running across the evil expanse of a beautiful garden. Okay, so my thing about the evil garden, though, I'm sorry to cut you off. (laughs) No, It bothered me that they show this woman who has hands for feet, and then the next sequence is, but she's worse at it than Charlize is. Yeah, that's weird. Like, basically, here's this obstacle course of death, Sathandra gets hit by everything. She fucks up. She gets shot by the cocoons. She lands on the grass blades. I felt like she was, like, learning it. And that, because Eon is behind her. She does her. say at one point, do you understand it now? Yeah. Yeah. And also, so I enjoyed that sequence because I found it tense and like watching Sathandra run was like really captivating. But then she just gets to a tube and she's like, cool, see, see you later. later. So I feel I, like the yeah. only... I thought that she died and I was making a sandwich and then she showed up. I did also think the way that Charlize was like, insect crawling yeah. through that was reminiscent of the cartoon and yeah. that was interesting to watch but I, I genuinely thought that sequence was well done and also her fight with Freya was well done. I loved like, the fight with Freya. That was my favorite part of the movie. I think those were the only two parts of the movie that had any genuine like what's gonna happen and also I'm watching this. The rest of it was like alright alright. Yeah, the exposition was really boring. Also, she figures out the cloning extremely easily. Ridiculously So she easily. just shows them, he's like, oh, you cloned her. And he's like, yeah, I cloned everyone. And then it's like, oh, okay. Also, like... No the- detective work at all. Zero chemistry between those nope. two. You know, she's the- sent to kill him, and she has, like, a moment of, I know you, and I can't. And I yes. think I kissed you. And, right, and then they are separated, and then the next time they're together, she's like, 
you called me by a different name and they immediately start fucking and it feels phony also yeah. like by fucking it's like they're kissing and then we see them naked in a bed for a tv show that was so sexual so they're like exactly. no bone but let's have the one sex scene in the movie be very sterile yeah, right skip over it yeah fact. just right they'll kiss and then they wake up and then she strangles him which yeah I'm she sure. tries to choke him out <sighs> so i said at the beginning of this that i have a strange affection for this movie but you guys have like talked me into being like what is this movie <laughs> i think my i think my affection for this movie sort of holds up because i have a high tolerance for dumb action movies yeah uh obviously if anyone other than charlie's were in it i'd probably be more bored by watching it but i'm just like ah, i get to see her wear some outfits and stare meaningfully into the camera another thing that i enjoyed was she had the like this ring that dropped little puddles around and then when all those oh, puddles yeah. turned into balls and then like blew up so, so that she could escape i thought that was really cool and also i think the most engaged she was with anyone in this entire movie was when she talked to them. It was like, hey friends. She did. Yeah. But like, she had more affection for her little bombs than for any other human in the movie. Yeah, the, the right. whistle-controlled demolition ball bearings that was awesome. were the most compelling character in the movie. So, because we're talking, we're doing this because of Charlize, she seems not very happy over the course of this movie, right? Like, she does not seem, to, as an actress, to be enjoying herself. Is that fair to say? I, I would say so. Yeah, I would say In a so. way that I feel like with a similar role in Mad Max, like a badass role, she's clearly having the time of her life. Maybe having a broken back will take the sparkle that out of you. That could yeah. be it, yeah. But like I said, like she didn't really do another tentpole blockbuster movie until Snow White, really. Yeah. She tends to kind of just lend her star power to like smaller movies, like yeah. sort of Battle in Seattle kind of deal. Right. Which otherwise people have probably never have seen or heard of. I have never seen Battle in Seattle, Me but either. I will see it because of her. Indeed. And this podcast. I will yes. enjoy saying it. Yeah, it's a great <laughs> title. There was no other blockbusters. She was in the Italian job before this, but she But was... she was the girl. Exactly. She right. was part of an ensemble, mm -hmm. and that was definitely Mark Wahlberg's movie. Right. Then there was also Hancock after this, but that was definitely Will Smith's right. movie. Right. I didn't even know that she was in Hancock Me until, like, two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, so this is definitely maybe the first and last Charlize Theron is movie. Possibly, yeah. yeah. And it's a shame that it's kind of shitty. Yeah, it is. But, I mean, I'm kind of glad because it would be a shame if she fell into that trap and just became another boring franchise actress. Well... I prefer to have, like, a more varied and interesting career than just... Because if you look at, like, Hugh Jackman or something, yeah. he got famous. No, he's just in 500 X-Men movies. Right. And but he, what about Will Smith, right? Will Smith gets to do whatever the hell he wants. Yeah, but he, yeah, that's true. But then he was also in, like, Three Men in Black movies and yeah. Wild Wild West and like that's true. all that kind of stuff. Like he hasn't it's he, a double edged sword movie stardom. Indeed. He hasn't really done many kind of he's trying to do like more interesting movies now. Yeah. But for the most of his career, like it wasn't that he wasn't a particularly he he I himself mean, was compelling, but the movies he was in were he was compelling. Nominated for two Oscars. Will Smith was? Yeah. Oh, Ali and in the Ali. Pursuit of Happiness. Yeah. Well, the other thing is, though, is I can't, and maybe this is just a lack in my movie knowledge, but I can't really think of a female led action franchise other than Tomb Raider and I guess right. uh, yeah I guess Hunger and Games and Hunger Games and Mila Jovovich's zombies oh and also Resident I guess Evil. the Resident one that's Evil. like Resident Evil but Kate Beckinsale is in it and it's a oh, thing about Underworld. werewolves Underworld, yeah okay yeah. but see I think Resident Evil and Underworld seem more genre-y yeah. than yes. for example Mission Impossible right like I can't think of an equivalent to that other than Salt I still haven't seen Salt oh my god guys guys I would do a podcast a it, well Salt was supposed to be a franchise and also Salt was originally supposed to to have 
Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise in it. And I think that the reason that it did not become a franchise... Is because uh, it had a woman in it? Correct. I think if Tom Cruise had been in that movie, if we can have Jack Reacher 2 still reaching around, then <laughs> we certainly deserve Salt 2. Salt 2 yeah. and pepper. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I don't, I don't know. So I don't know if she didn't do like a superhero... Or I guess not like superhero movies, but even so, like, we don't have Wonder Woman. Black Widow doesn't have her own movie. Like, I just don't know a lot we of female We will have Wonder led. Woman in June. Yeah. No true. one knows because they're not advertising that. Right, exactly. There's <laughs> Let's no talk about Ragnarok instead. Like I just, I just can't yeah. think of like a female equivalent of Mission Impossible or Jason Bourne or what are other. They don't exist. Okay, yeah. I think. I mean, the closest one that is about to come out is Atomic Blonde, which has starring Charlie Theron. Theron. <laughs> I don't know what that is. Oh, you Regina. would love it. You will love it. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. So a thing that is most exciting to me about Charlie Theron movies are the ones that she hasn't made yet in some ways. Like, I don't mean to just be full of hope and everything like that, but I think that she's always been a movie star. She's been a movie star and a recognizable name for a long time, but I do think that Mad Max is, like, a big turning point in the way that she is being perceived. Yeah. And I'm really curious about, like, the kind of movies that are going to come out afterwards. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's what I think. I think this movie is, like, is the first stop on her first turning point. Yeah. Uh, So, like, it's good that things picked up from here but yeah it's it's this is an oddly pivotal movie for her she's so good guys okay. even in boring movies where she doesn't do much besides interact with a ball bearing she's still great whatever <laughs> okay so we did not do this for our last movie but it is a regular feature can you summarize your feelings about this movie with a single sound oh i made a note about it all right so my sound for this movie would be eh? My sound for Eon Flux 2005 is... Hmm. 2005, Eon Flux. Ah. <laughs> I feel like Regina's giving it the most respect. <laughs> I, I think that's what I said from the very beginning. Yes. Yeah. I think also, like, in terms of flavors of movie, this is more my brand than yeah. other people's. This is... Or maybe not Bob Shields, so, I don't I mean, know. I was pretty much primed to love this movie. Like, it, I was a huge fan of The Matrix, and this is... Everything that I should want in a movie. And again, like, great premise, terrible execution. I think Peter also... Chung, who directed the cartoon, did one of the Animatrix episodes. Really? I didn't yeah. know that. That's cool. They were I, good. I feel like this reflects so well on how good The Matrix is, because when I watched it, I was like, this probably came out before The Matrix, because it's, like, way crappier in terms of special effects. Right. And it's like, no, nope. that yeah. is not remotely true. Nope. This this feels very dated in a way that the original Matrix does not. No. But it is oh. interesting to watch the, like, this... I, I really do think that the cartoon was probably influential on the Matrix. And yep. it's really interesting. Her look in this movie is actually really similar to Scarlett Johansson as Major in the new Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. yeah. And when you sort of look at Charlize Theron in this movie, you see, like, okay, yeah, she looks like Eon Flux from the cartoon but also the major from the Ghost in the Shell anime, which came out at the same time as the series, the cartoon oh, yeah, series. Yeah, yeah. So it's weird, this soup of yeah. bondage gear. Yeah, goth uh, sci-fi. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about The Matrix, I think, is an excellent segue into who should Keanu Reeves play in Eon Flux? So I actually realized as we were sitting down to this that I never thought about it. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> I just made myself laugh by thinking that Keanu could play Pete Postlethwaite. <laughs> so, for people who aren't watching the movie Pete Postlethwaite, he is, you know, he, 
he's an old man, and in the movie, apparently, based on the screenwriter's commentary, he has been alive this whole time. They've, like, artificially kept him alive for 400 years. Oh. And But he is a man inside of, you know those pop-out tunnels that you send toddlers yeah, he's in, through he's in to a make poly them tunnels. happy? See, yes. I thought he was in, you know those, like, waving balloon men in front of car dealerships? Yes. <laughs> he's essentially wearing one of those. Well, I mean, the blimp has one of those dangling beneath it. Does. That is true. <laughs> Charlize grabs onto that. Yeah. What a yeah. bad exit plan. <laughs> so, just imagining Keanu shaved leathery skin inside of a pop-out tunnel is funny to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. All right, you're next. I went first last time. Well, okay. But you were so right last time. Well, I have a a note on this one that's going to be so controversial I'm scared to say it. Oh, oh, I have a suspicion. I know where you're going. So (laughs) I did not think about this as deeply as I should have, but I actually think I would like Keanu to play her brother-in-law. He's not in the movie very much. He is, like, gardening with some Technicolor powder. Then later he gets egregiously shot. But he argues for, I don't know, trying to make a life or something. I feel like that would be... That is actually one of the more, like, real scenes in the movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. That, that's a scene in the movie that sounds like how people actually talk about yeah, right. dealing with authoritarian governments. Yeah, that's... I would cast Keanu as Claudius. Okay. All right, so... At long last, Bob Shields reveal. Well, I hope it doesn't disappoint, but... Keanu Reeves in this would play Charlize. I knew you were going to say that. Oh. Because, here's the reasoning. We think that we live in the darkest timeline in real life now, but there is a darker timeline where Keanu Reeves got typecast after The Matrix and then only plays that kind of role for the rest of his career. That is a darker timeline. So he would replace Charlize in this and he'd replace Christian Bale in Equilibrium in that timeline. Oh. Okay, so final thoughts on Eon Flux. Look, if I had the flu and it was on my computer, I would watch it again. It is now on your computer. <laughs> Don't get the flu just to watch it again. You can watch it again without having the flu. No, I just mean, like, I think the only circumstances in which I would watch it again is I am so ill, I can think of very little else, but this will be pleasant enough that if I fall asleep in the middle of it, I'd be all right with it. I already admitted to watching it twice in one week. The commentary was really pretty interesting, I would imagine. It was one of those commentaries where they were like, guys, it's not our fault. (laughs) Uh, I only watched one movie ever with commentary on, and it was Kiss Kiss Bang Bang, and I don't think anything can top that, so I don't know if I could ever watch commentary again. I recommend you watch Spinal Tap with the commentary on. I've never seen Spinal Tap. You should watch Spinal Tap three times. Once with the commentary on, once well, once normal, once with the commentary on, and you'd also watch the behind-the-scenes footage, which is like a whole other movie. Okay. Wow. I've never watched that. It's so fucking good. Okay, so, to wrap up, final thoughts. Final thoughts. Uh, it's a great premise, terribly executed. That's what I would say. I actually feel like the premise wasn't that great. I feel like they had so many wonderful opportunities to steal a really cool sci-fi movie and put this character in it, mm. and instead they'd put this character in... Nah. Yeah, but where in the ranking? We only have three, so I think we can still list all three. I think yes. it's probably, probably pretty easy to rank it. Seems fairly obvious to me that it's not better than Two Days in the Valley, but it is definitely better than Children of the Corn 3. I agree. So it is um, my number two right now. Right in the middle. Yeah. yeah. You guys, it's currently my number one. Yeah! So we're gonna go one Eon Flux, two Two Days in the Valley, three Children of the Corn, three Urban Harvest. I don't know why you don't say the full title every time you have that. I'm sorry, we are being so disrespectful to Children of the Corn Three Urban Harvest. Urban Harvest. Someone came up with that name and, and I will say it forever <laughs> until I die. This edges out. Two Days in the Valley for me because uh, I don't have to watch Charlie's 
die a gruesome death. Oh, it's she's her first in... one that we've watched where she didn't die. Yay! <laughs> Though she does technically die, but she just is brought back to life We again do see her as a corpse. 400 years later. You're right. <laughs> well, the only one that we see, if we're assuming yes. the clone is a... The character she plays doesn't die. Okay. Yeah. I yeah I'm like this movie has more Charlize for your money so yeah. it's gonna it's gonna get a higher rating than Two Days in the Valley for me okay. also uh less racism well there's some Orientalism in here like it's yeah. like, oh it's the future and everyone carries a paper parasol but no one is Asian uh, there was like some like one of the extra yeah. assassins was Asian but none of the characters were actively racist yeah <laughs> no racial slurs were used in Correct. the making of this film that we know of that's the first time we've diverged guys it's gonna be an yeah. interesting road from here on yeah. out we have to make a note now oh. oh I've got in the I've got a whole spreadsheet but yeah come oh, on. great yeah. alright we're organized don't okay. worry about it alright cool thank you so much for listening this has been Theronathon our theme tune is by Alex Reed and thank, thank you Charlies. No, but Christian Bale got the role of Batman because of the work he did in Equilibrium. I wouldn't mind watching Keanu Reeves play Batman. (laughs) I would definitely watch Keanu (laughs) Reeves play Batman. I mean, this whole feature posits that we would like to see Keanu Reeves in everything. Yeah, Yeah. also, what would his Batman voice sound like? Whoa. Whoa. (laughs)